and welcome to another episode of Okay Now What? This week we have Elizabeth, Jason, Thomas, and me, Greg. Also, don't forget we are on Spotify and check us out on social media. The links are below in the description. And don't forget to um, stay with us throughout the entire episode because we have Sherman, uh, Sherman Azami, who is running for Congress in uh, California's 30th district. So yeah. All right, let's go ahead and start with our news. So we are going to talk about um, the current crisis in India. India is suffering a major COVID crisis. People are basically dying in the streets. Um, the medical staff in India ordered to run uh, from ICU uh, backlash. Um, they were fearing from attacks of grieving family members. Um, it's, it's, it's really bad. Um, and we did mention last week that, you know, Bill Gates was not wanting to share the COVID vaccine. And um, let's just say we wouldn't be in this mess if, you know, there was a worldwide global vaccine rollout. Um, that's my, my, my opinion on this. It, it, it you know, we, I know Biden has also um, uh, agreed to waiving the COVID patents on that. Um, that's a whole other discussion too. But we, we can't be dealing with this here. We are in a global um, public health crisis. And we, the fact that you know people can make money off of this, it's sick. And um, I'm just gonna go ahead and open up to the panel, whoever wants to, Give their spiel on this. Um, with what's happening in India, um, this is a, this is a, I mean, you, you're right. Uh, I, the, the profit motive um, from the from the vaccine rollout has been a huge detriment to to the world right now, and I think. Um, we were saying about the Biden administration. They, they've they've offered they've offered like a temporary waiver on 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 vaccine patents. Um, to me, I don't think that goes far enough. To be honest, but um, I think uh, and and the fact that it came so late is just astonishing to me. But um, this isn't just a, an American issue. This is also happening in Europe. Um, Europe is uh, very animate about not. Um, not releasing uh, vaccine patents at all. In fact, Angela Merkel of Germany, she's explicitly said, "I'm not going to do it." Um, and I think, and and that is, uh, and uh, but people don't realize her her health minister um, is um, a pharma lobbyist. Um, that that came back out in 2019. So uh, this is this is an embedded, um, um, and in fact, Europe's vaccine rollout is horrendous. And a lot of that and, that, and that, and this goes even deeper because with what's happening in India right now, Europe's vaccine rollout is so bad because the majority of medical supplies and uh, and any and PPE and anything to do with the uh, production of of medicines actually stems from India. A lot of a lot of the stuff that's made in India goes to Europe um, in terms of uh, medical supplies. Um, in fact, uh, the European Commission did this whole thing where it was saying so that because saying that, um, so to jump in here, so you're basically saying modern day colonialism is still happening and making this yeah, that's what I'm saying. Look, so, so they were very happy. 
for an economy like India to make all this stuff for them because they were able to produce it cheaper than doing it in Europe. But now they suddenly found themselves in a in a horrendous situation because they've they've outsourced all the all the um, uh, medical supplies and uh, uh, equipment for vaccine production. All this stuff comes from India, um, and it's and now all of a sudden they're saying we need to bring back we need to uh, we need to uh, have like this health nationalism again uh so that we bring all this stuff away from india without really they're not they're not looking to solve the crisis in india they're just trying to protect their own state yeah um and i think uh this comes back to the idea that right now we have essentially a vaccine nationalism happening in real time countries are protecting they're not releasing um excess quantities of vaccines to other countries because they're just hoarding it canada's doing that the uk is explicitly doing that in fact they've cut um they've cut uh, uh foreign aid in half i know by a third i think recently um and that that ties into uh vaccine uh donations um so this is a this is a worldwide epidemic right now where leaders are just refusing to help other nations especially uh nations that obviously suffered from uh past colonialism and you know um the, the, it's just it's just it's just frightening really yeah elizabeth do you want to go ahead and jump in yeah, I was. I, I watched a video that you sent over. I'm sure anybody can find them. And it was just heartbreaking to see people watch their loved ones just not get the the Medicare medic medical uh, care that they need. Um, so what I understand of what's happening is that there's not enough. Per personnel either there's not enough doctors there's not enough nurses mm -hmm. I don't know what the state of their uh, like hospital infrastructure like public health infrastructure is so I guess kind of like what Thomas is saying like the greed the privatization of it um, has created a consequence of it not being uh, the government, I guess the government not wanting to invest in uh, public health. Um, and now we're seeing the repercussions and uh, it's just really heartbreaking. I also uh, heard that, I, which I didn't know, that the prime minister there imposed one of the most draconian stay at home orders. And then who, who I think it was somewhere on CNN, they were saying that like everybody was forced to stay in their house for like three weeks. So like nobody could go out um, and the government didn't specify if that also included like grocery stores or like nurses or pharmacies. So everybody just shut down. Um, and it kind of cost a lot of like the the country was kind of like when they got out of it they just kind of I don't know um like didn't take it serious I guess maybe not that's not what I'm trying to say um I guess the COVID-19 wasn't spreading just yet it hadn't hit the first wave so people kind of got this 
uh, feeling that maybe we're immune to it or maybe or maybe that's the propaganda that the government put. But anyway, this is just a huge failure for um, a country that says it's a democracy. I see that they're not trying to take accountability for the fate for the failures. They're not trying to fire anybody. And the media isn't like uh, the media in the country is not trying to blame anybody. So basically there's this big crisis and no one's willing to take accountability for it. And the international community isn't helping either. And it's just heartbreaking to be in this situation. Yeah. Uh, I just wanna, oh, sorry. I just wanted to add, Italy did the same thing. They, they did a, a massive lockdown that, that essentially told people we couldn't leave the house for three or four weeks. Um, and I think, sorry, go on. Who did? Who did that? It, it, Italy. Italy did the same thing. Oh. Um, and I think the problem is, the problem is, um, uh, it's great, but the reality is a lot of lib uh, a lot of liberal. The liberal mindset is to uh, tell people to stay home without giving them money to stay home, and that, and yeah. that's the issue. Modi, yeah. Modi particularly, is a, um, a horrendous. Um, uh, very fascist tendencies. Um, in fact, it, it, the way that he's treated farmers during this whole pandemic is a testament to that. The way that he's treating uh, the the essential backbone of the, the working uh, uh, the working person in India is just uh, uh, cut, cutting farm farm aid at a time where uh, you know they need they desperately need, <laughs> they desperately need money. Um, is a testament to to the way that he's handled things right now. But sorry, go on, Greg. Yeah, uh, I was just gonna go and have yeah, this close. I was well I was gonna bring up the farmer, uh, the farmers unions uh, is issues, uh, farmers going on strike in India also, and the way that that was handled. I mean, so in India, you've you've got so many things going on. First of all, you got over a billion people, um, you know, um, and and uh, you. It is a developing country, so the hospital infrastructure, the sand public sanitation infrastructure, they're not great to begin with over there uh, in in many many places. I mean, I think you know some of the, some of the larger cities are are built up really nicely and modern, but they're you know to cater to international um, uh, business travelers. I mean, they're not really set up to cater. Those areas are not set up to cater to um, the average Indian citizen. So. Um, what we so we've we've got this we've got this uh, conflation of uh, uh, as Thomas rightly said uh, a fascist essentially you know you say he's elected but you know he's 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 a fascist Modi is is uh, is is a, is pretty terrible leader. Um, Did it, I have a question? Did their party just announce victory also for the elections or what is the state of their elections? Um, I want to, I want to say that, that, um, Modi was reelected in a quote unquote landslide. I don't know about the integrity of those elections. Um, so, uh, I, I, I don't want to speak out of turn on this one. Maybe Thomas knows some more about, uh, about that, but I, 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 I haven't looked into it. it. I haven't looked into I, it too much. No. Um, so you've got the conflation of massive population, developing country, uh, fascist leader, uh, and and global racism uh, through through capitalism. I mean, really, what it comes down to is you have these Western white countries uh, who who want to uh, uh, make the money, hoard the vaccines, protect themselves. I mean. And I'm not even saying that, that the Western countries are necessarily care about their own citizens too much, but they do care about that wealth and they know how, they, they want to mm -hmm. keep it at home. Um, mm -hmm. 
I mean, so I like I liken what's happening in India to what happened in Brazil with their spikes of cases. You've yeah. got the same thing. You've got a developing country. You've got a fascist, you know, dictator. Um, you've got a a a weak um, infrastructure, uh, health wise. Uh, the health systems in the country go to serve uh, the the wealthiest. Um, and and of course, we're going to have this virus spreading through lack. You know, there's I, undoubtedly lack of education, um, but you've got poor people who have to work. They have to feed their families. Um, and 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 for somebody like Bill Gates, it's just absolutely disgusting uh, for for him to say uh, it's 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 genocidal uh, for him for him to say um that uh these these farmer prophets you know and he of course he wouldn't characterize it like that but you know the 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 reality is that farmer prophets are more or are more valuable than than you know living human beings um and we have to break that global mindset we have to break it here at home but we have to break it globally also yeah yeah, yeah. and so to move on to the topic of covid um we're going to be going closer to home now Peter was lovely, sorry. Peter was freezing, but anyway. All right, so COVID-19 vaccine demand is slowing in parts of the US, and now it's becoming an uphill battle to get more shots into people. Um, so health officials in Ohio's Mercy County opened up their first vaccine uh, drive in January, and it started to fill up instantly, but now, um, it's slowing down, and this is a, the case of many COVID uh, vaccine stations. And um, it's saying that, you know, a lot of people are getting their first dose, but they're not getting their second. And then, of course, we still have um, a good portion of the population not wanting to uh, get the vaccine because of fear and, you know, anti-vaxxers, of course. Um, now, I, I wanted to go ahead and uh, go to you, Jason. What do you think of this? Do you think, you know, we're going to end up getting to herd immunity? Or well, I, I watched, um, John Oliver did a bit on this. In fact, most of his show was um, on this this last weekend. Um, and he talked about herd immunity being somewhere between 70% and 90%. And then the number of people who flat out have said that they are not going to get vaccinated is not going to get us to that herd immunity. It's it's simply not. Um, and so uh, a lot of those are are conservative right-wingers, um, you know, but, but also... You know, a lot of people are just, uh, you got a lot of young people who are not taking this thing seriously. Um, you also have, and I think this is a, an, an overlooked part of the population, again, as I'm cribbing from John Oliver here, is that you have uh, tens of millions of children who are not getting vaccinated yet. So when we're talking about entire population here, herd immunity, it is going to be a struggle to get there. Um, I, I actually had a constituent um uh, who had contacted me, um, wanted to talk about my campaign. Uh, and one of the things that he wanted to know was, do you, uh, do you support the vaccines? And I was like, yes, I do. He's like, all right, good. And, and he said, he said, help me talk to my kids. I got a 21 year old and a 22 year old. They're both living at home. Neither of them want to go get, go get vaccinated. You know, that, that, oh, that, that, go ahead. As the 22 year old on the panel, get fucking vaccinated. You idiot. All right, go well, ahead. That's what I, I said, I said, hold up your phone, hold up your phone. And I yelled into his phone, go get vaccinated, you know? So, you know, but he, but, but this is, 
this is, you know, it's, I, I think it's pervasive. I, I don't know what to do to, I mean, Americans are extremely stubborn and you've got somebody, we mentioned Tucker Carlson uh, earlier. You, you mentioned, you, you, you got somebody like, uh, Tucker Carlson uh, yelling in people's ears and 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 casting doubt. It's like you've got an entire Fox network that is casting doubt on you know thirty percent of the population. I don't know how we're going to get past that. You know, you mentioned Fox News, and I do recall President uh, former President Trump uh, going on Fox News saying, "Well, I got it. I think people should get it. I encourage people should get it." But uh, I, I believe he, you know, he also mentioned, yeah. Um, I do respect people's freedom or whatnot of not getting it. But I mean, your leader, you know, I say that with air quotes, um, just said to go get vaccinated. This is the time where I want people to listen. Yeah, but to he it. did not say it with a whole lot of seriousness, you know, I mean, because he didn't say anything with a whole lot of seriousness. But, you know, um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how how his base is actually receiving that. You know, I mean, here's the thing with a lot of right wingers, they will obey the laws that they want to want to obey and they feel like they're fine to ignore the ones that they don't. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's a lot of uh modern day uh Trumpism right there. So I I, I will say this is this isn't just an American issue because my my home country um when I think when I think we never stoop as low as America we 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 try we 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 just go above and beyond sometimes and uh my some of my my people in my home country they literally went out wearing uh Jewish gold stars on their shirts say uh, um and marching in the streets uh saying that it was similar to the Holocaust to force people to get vaccinated yeah so 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 this is uh this is uh this isn't just an american issue this is um uh, there is a there is a there is a worldwide skepticism of um of uh, vaccines there's a huge um there's a huge gap in education when it comes to you know people people realize why, why don't we have polio anymore or why yeah. why do we you know and that's and that's because, because that's because we, people were vaccinated you know why do you think it why do you why, why, why do you, why do you think these things don't really uh, exist anymore? And it's because it's because of those early vaccination uh, vaccinations yeah. uh, years gone by. But uh, I think um, you know I don't think the US will ever get to herd immunity ever. You think you're right, Jason. Um, I think the problem, but also what what we're not getting is that um, with this vaccine nationalism, it's only a short term solution, right? What's, what's inevitably going to happen is that this thing is going to uh, it's going to uh, develop over time. It's going to mutate um, with us not helping other countries um, with anything like let alone, you know, for getting 30 or 40 percent of, um, you know, places in Africa and in India and getting them to like 30 or 40 percent is not even not even on the cards right now and I don't think people realize you know you go back when this started how long did it take before this spread around the world a couple of weeks a month? Oh, it wasn't long yeah not, was... not long exactly so so this idea that um you know just because just getting getting America to 70 or 80 percent is great but the reality is we, if we don't get the world to Sorry, percent. Um, we're going to be right back to square yeah, one with this. That's true. We can't. Um, we can't think so, of America as an island. No, yeah. exactly. So, so this re this reality is that um, 
what why is there skepticism to begin with well uh, i would argue that you know I, I think what was really telling um going off topic a little bit is that when the biden administration did that temporary waiver the pharmaceutical uh profits like literally nosedived i don't know if you saw the um the graph of the uh, stocks in real time just plummet and that really tells you uh, how this whole system is built you know if you if you if you if you incentivize health and well-being and save people's lives apparently that's not profitable so um yeah anyway <laughs> uh elizabeth i wanted to go ahead and ask you a question so i now i know there is a lot of fear when it comes to um, you know, people of color getting the vaccine because, you know, we've had, you know, the, was it the, the Tuskegee experiment where, you know, they've, um, basically people of color have been, um, used as guinea yeah. pigs in, in, in experiments. And of course there's a, a legitimate fear when it comes to that. Um, and, and it also includes, you know, older, uh, Latinx, uh, people. So Elizabeth, I wanted to, to ask you, like, do you think there's a better way of saying, like, hey, we need to get vaccinated, it's safe, like, how can we gain their trust? Um, I don't know, um, I'm sorry. No, no worries. Um, I'm a little thrown off because of the question. That's not what I was thinking of saying. Um, I just, like Thomas said, I just think people need to um, understand that we've gotten rid of widespread uh, diseases by using vaccinations. I understand the mistrust, but in order, in order for us to come out of this, we all need to get vaccinated. Um, also, I just want to say like, there's, we just talked about India. Um, there's countries that are struggling. Yeah. Countries are hoarding their vaccines. There's countries that want the vaccine. There's people in other countries that want to have a vaccine and don't have it because I don't know, they're, they're, their countries are not, I don't know, they don't have the, what is it called? The, the greedy pharmaceuticals. So they don't have the vaccine. And I just feel like we have a huge privilege here in the United States to get vaccinated and for us to be entertaining like conspiracy theories or uh, kind of doing this thing of, well, all my peers got it and I don't need to get it. I, I don't think we are aware of, of like the privilege we have to have the vaccine. So I just hope people do get vaccinated as far as maybe people of color who are don't don't have trust in this government, um, I mean I don't have much trust in it either. But this isn't about like my government; it's more about the, my community. So I have yeah. to take the vaccine because of my mother, because of my uh, brothers, and you know my neighbors and the. The workers at the grocery store it's not i'm not entertaining the idea anymore it's about everyone what was it yeah like i'm not going to entertain this conspiracy idea that the government is trying to kill me the government is trying to kill me in other ways 
<laughs> they're oppressing me in other ways. Like this isn't so true. Not doing. I'm not entertaining that right now. I think people should get vaccinated. It's really easy here in California. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And like That's I said, a- as the 22 year old on the panel, young folks, get vaccinated. I, I just wanted a quick comment that that's a that's a really humble perspective on this um, the the fact that we are privileged in this country uh, as compared to the to around the world I mean that's uh, that's that's an excellent point to make and I don't think enough people are making that point enough so um, I'm actually gonna start sharing that with people yeah and imagine having the privilege to say I want I want it Imagine having that much privilege. All right, folks, now we're going to start with our interview. This week we have Sherman Azami, who's running for California's 30th district. Um, And thank you so much, Sherman, for coming on. Go ahead and introduce um, introduce yourself to the audience for us. Of course. Thank you all so much for having me on. Thank you, Greg, Jason, Thomas, and Elizabeth. My name is Sherman Azami, he, him pronouns. I am an Iranian-American, an immigrant, a public health activist, a husband, and a soon-to-be dad, as my wife and I expect our first child uh, next month, uh, running for U.S. Congress in my hometown, West San Fernando Valley, California's 30th, to unseat hawkish pro-war corporate Democrat Brad Sherman. Um, I am the son of two Iranian asylum seekers who fled religious persecution in Iran and fled to the U.S. in search of a better life. Uh, My mom worked seven days a week in retail and Macy's, um, which is now shut down here in the Valley, while my dad went back to school to become a family doctor. Um, And it wasn't until I was in college that I was able to open his primary care practice uh, here in Canoga Park, close to where we grew up. And before running, I was legislative director for a national indigenous healthcare nonprofit in Washington, D.C., fighting to make sure the federal government honors its treaty obligations to tribal nations. Uh, treaties that they have abrogated uh, since they were signed. And we continue to see the repercussions of institutional racism, genocide, displacement all across the country in terms of the vast socioeconomic inequities, healthcare inequities, educational inequities. And it's time for bold change. Uh, We are at a moment, a precipice in our country where we do not immediately invest in the structural foundational reforms that we need to uplift and empower working people, uh, address um, climate change and immediately transition to 100% renewable energy economy, uh, guarantee single-payer healthcare as an inherent human right, housing as an inherent human right, decriminalize our immigration system and so much more. Um, There are just too many issues and our leadership has failed uh, to address the needs of our community. And for an incumbent who's been there since I was four years old, um, 20, uh, plus year incumbent, uh, he has failed to address the needs in our communities. And he's not going to start now. Uh, and it's time for bold change. And that's what our campaign is all about. That is very exciting. Um, Jason, since you are also putting your bid into Congress, go ahead and uh, ask away. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, in terms of locally, I'm the only person here who doesn't have a real dog in this fight. I am hugely supportive of uh Sherman's uh campaign he is he is Feeling mutual, of, Jason. one of my favorite candidates right now but I really want to pass the questioning over to the people who live 
closer to Shervin. So uh, you guys have not heard how wonderful of a candidate he is. So I want you to dig into it. You're too kind, Jason. It's an honor to be running alongside you and so many other amazing progressives across the country. It's a sea absolutely. change waiting to happen. Yep, absolutely. I'm so looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. All right, Elizabeth, do you want to go ahead and start? Uh, you are muted, honey. How did that happen? Okay, hi. So I guess I'm looking, I'm, a, I'm on your website, huh? shervinforthevalley.com, for those listening. And um, Medicare for All is like a huge deal for me. But right now, because the state of California is kind of um, organizing to lead AB 1400, right. I'm not going to ask you about that. I'm sure if once you get elected, you will advocate for Medicare for All. So um, I'm going to ask you about housing, just because Please. I know that area um, of L.A., is experiencing a lot of um, gentrification. It's experiencing a lot of people leaving the state because we can't afford it. I think that probably had something to do with the congressional seat we just lost. Uh, mm -hmm. So just kind of um, what do you think we can do to create affordable housing? And I also see here on your website that it says uh, you want to ban exclusionary zoning mm -hmm. uh, maybe just uh, emphasize or explain a little bit about that yeah absolutely great great questions and housing for all is one of the most important crucial priorities our campaign is focused on uh, la is ground zero for our national housing crisis and homelessness crisis we have five unhoused neighbors die per day in our city we have more unhoused neighbors die of hypothermia in La in sunny Los Angeles. More unhoused neighbors are dying of hypothermia than in San Francisco and New York City combined. We have nearly 45,000 unhoused neighbors across LA City, around 66,000 across LA County. And like all uh, socioeconomic issues, they fall disproportionately on our communities of color. Black Angelinos are roughly 8% of our city population, but 34% of our unhoused. And the city has waged a war, not on homelessness, but on our unhoused neighbors. Uh, it is despicable to know that one out of every three instances of LAPD use of excessive force are against our unhoused neighbors. Now, let me go back to my earlier statistic. We have 44,000 unhoused neighbors in LA city in a city of 4 million people, yet a third of LAPD use of excessive force is against a tiny, tiny fraction of our population. We continue to criminalize homelessness as opposed to treating it as an inherently economic issue, an issue of public health. And the fact that we have soaring cost of living, starvation wages, and lack of investment in our communities. Uh, it's no mistake that our, our lowest income communities, our communities of color, the ones that are living under constant uh, police surveillance and state-sponsored violence, those are the communities uh, that are bearing the brunt of our housing crisis. Now, as, as a public health professional, uh, you know, we're, we're focused on addressing the root causes of our issues and understanding that we, we can't understand these things from in silos or, or through some sort of myopic lens. 
We have to understand how intersectional these issues are. And when we fail to invest in housing and education and healthcare, the result is we're going to see higher population level inequities, higher rates of death, higher rates of chronic and infectious diseases, uh, lower rates of life expectancy, uh, lower rates of wealth uh, generation across, uh, uh, across time. And again, all these issues are falling on our Black and Latinx communities the most. Uh, every Monday, um, you know, I organize with a fantastic advocacy group here in the Valley called the West Valley People's Alliance. And every Monday, we're going out to help protect our unhoused neighbors who are subject to sweeps. These sweeps violently displace our unhoused neighbors and literally just move them 15 feet down, neighborhood to neighborhood, just displacing them and ransacking their belongings where the city comes in, gives someone 15 minutes to pack up all their things and leave. And everything that's left there is destroyed. This past Monday, I was at a sweep here in Canoga Park uh, in Bob Blumenfeld's city council district. What the city has done is they'll open up these temporary shelters, these bridge homes, and then they'll set up in the uh, direct perimeter, they'll set up what are known as special enforcement and cleanup zones, says zones. These zones are areas where the city can come in and displace people with impunity. And so, and if they, these folks do not want to go into these temporary shelters, these shelters that are run like soft incarceration, I say that because they have curfews that coincide with the workday. They have strict sobriety requirements and don't offer people actual substance uh, addiction services and treatment services, don't offer mental health services. Uh, a lot of them don't allow couples to live together, don't allow families to live together. Some of them don't allow you to have towels, towels in these shelters. Why? Because you might flush them down the toilet. You, you can't make this stuff up. It is so reprehensible. And on, on top of that, we saw this disastrous court settlement uh, from federal judge David O. Carter, whose jurisdiction includes LA. He's a real maverick when it comes to uh, our housing crisis. Last year, just to give you the, the full story on this, last year, a group of business owners in downtown LA formed a very ironically, LA, ironically named LA Alliance, LA Alliance uh, for Human Rights. And they sued the city, saying that the city is addressing the housing crisis all wrong. They're not doing anything to solve the problem. And in Judge Carter's decision, he cites the impacts of structural racism and the particular challenges that unhoused women face. And yet he goes forward to prescribe a solution that perpetuates those stopgap measures uh, that ensure our communities of color and our unhoused neighbors are not getting the services they need. It requires every city council district to open up shelters that are only at 60% capacity and requires a complete evacuation of Skid Row by October and requires everyone in Skid Row to be offered temporary shelter. And if they refuse temporary shelter, the city will have the authority under LAPD to violently clear the streets. It gives even further license to cops to brutalize our unhoused. When just last month, we saw a militarized police force, 60 squad cars and six helicopters raid Echo Park and violently overthrow every, those unhoused neighbors, they'd formed their own community. They'd formed their own tenants union. They'd built their own showers, their own community gardens. And you see videos of the cops laughing as they're rooting out 
the gardens that our unhoused neighbors had made. Why? Because the state has failed to invest in permanent supportive housing. Housing first is the only way we're going to solve these issues. And when we're living in a city with astronomical cost of living, you know, LA five years ago passed a $15 minimum wage. That's great. It kicked in last year. But guess what? In order to avoid paying over a third of your income to rent in a city where nearly two thirds of our population are renters, you got to be making 38 bucks an hour. Well, if you're a sanitation worker or a retail worker or a grocery store worker, that's not your wage. So it's shutting more and more communities out. And it's just, it, it, we, we keep investing in these stopgap measures. We keep investing in these Band-Aids on bullet wounds and overlooking, uh, ignoring and neglecting the root causes. And on the topic of exclusionary zoning, the root cause goes back to the generational impacts of redlining, where you saw big banks completely uh, by, by virtue of the way the New Deal was structured under FDR, we left out Black, Latinx, Jewish, and other communities of color from home purchases. The Federal Housing Agency uh, would literally Black red list communities that had large populations of people of color to avoid giving them mortgage loans. And so as a result, now we see those redlined communities have higher rates of wealth inequality, higher rates of poverty, lower rates of strong public schools, and the other non-redline communities have higher uh, uh, property values, higher uh, investments, higher wealth, and are predominantly white. And the San Fernando Valley, the San Fernando Valley was created as a white enclave. That's why we have so much single family zoning here in the Valley. And there's such vehement opposition to constructing more multifamily housing, because that racism is still deep rooted. And we failed as a society to have those open, honest discussions around what institutional racism still looks like today and how we got here. And you, and you see, you see uh, what's happening um, with the Republicans. And I, don't, I haven't even heard many Democrats speak up on this, but you see right now the, the uh, talking point um, God, I should have stopped myself, but I was in I was in Spokane on the other side of the state um, last week for work. Stayed a couple nights in a hotel room, um, and by by whatever possessed me, I turned on Tucker Carlson. Um, you know, because I don't have bad cable move, in my house. Jason. Bad move, you know. But what are they talking about? They're talking about how uh, uh, that critical race theory is an assault on on police and assault on white people you know it is this is they are they are very they are very crafty about this they mm -hmm. don't want to solve the problems um they're they're white supremacists at heart in the republican party and they are sowing those seeds to prevent any solution to this problem that's an, an entire political party in this country and i'll tell you what the democrats are not pushing back hard enough no on this. they're not and we have corporate Democrats like your opponent and mine, Brad Sherman, that are in the pockets of the very corporations that are exacerbating these crises here at home. I was reading an article uh, a couple of weeks ago showing how one out of every five homes, single family homes are not being bought by couples or individuals. They're being bought by private equity firms. They're being bought by hedge funds. Yeah, so now driving, you're literally competing up. with Wall Street. Yeah, when you're trying to buy a house.
It's driving up. Uh, it's it's uh, it's increasing gentrification. It's driving yep. up property values. Yep. It's driving it's up the cost of housing, property well. taxes. Yeah, you know, yeah, and exactly, we're 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 heading into that housing bubble just like we did before the uh, mm -hmm. Great Recession with Obama, and nobody is doing anything to stop it. Not and I guarantee you, look into Brad Sherman's voting record. Uh, I would be, I would guarantee he has done some, taken some votes, even worse to, than that, to, even worse to than undo Dodd Frank. Yeah, you know, he, so. he, ha he definitely has voted to chip away at Dodd Frank. Yep, same as Larson. Uh, and give smaller banks uh, more leeway um in in their investments and they're really going to be more in speculative trading and stuff like that mm -hmm. but what's even more concerning is that brad is literally the guy who can do something about our housing crisis i'm not just saying that because he's a federal mm -hmm. rep i say that because he chairs the investor protection entrepreneurship and capital markets subcommittee mm -hmm. on financial services that subcommittee has jurisdiction over our federal housing finance laws u.s securities fannie mae and freddie mac and over authorizing new affordable housing programs. And guess what? As soon as he became wow. chair next last cycle, BlackRock and Blackstone, the two Wall Street private equity firms that are exacerbating our housing crisis nationwide, started bankrolling his reelection campaign. That's what happens. That's what happens. Same thing. Same with so, thing with Larson. He's being. Mm -hmm. he, we've got military in the district. He's being bankrolled by the military. He's chair of aviation. He's on the House Armed Services Committee. Those are the people who are throwing big money at him. I mean, we got Fox Fox's guard in the henhouse in our Congress. That's really yep. what it comes down to. Greg, I know you're trying to jump in here. Yeah, and no, it's okay. Uh, I was going to go over to Thomas. Um, go ahead and um, ask away. Um, I was, I was, I was just. Gonna, I, I'm very glad that you brought up Echo Park because I think that was uh, a very public display of how um, this happens every day um, in LA County um, and just in general. I think across California. Um, and uh, I've don't know if you saw, but um, uh, Eric Garcetti released his. Uh, uh, budget for LA County and uh, he completely lying about the fact that he was reducing police the police budget in yep. fact he's increasing yep. it yep. Um, and I think you're right uh, I, uh, you talk about the sheltering system um, it's 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 quite evident that people like Mitchell Farrell and uh, that they, they all they all went on Twitter and said they were housing the homeless and and, and getting them off the street it's not housing exactly yeah you're absolutely right and I think uh, it's um for people who aren't uh, geared into this, uh, they see statements like that and go, oh, that's great, that's brilliant. But the reality is they don't actually know um, what that housing is or what that housing looks like. In fact, I think in the, uh, in a lot, in the police, in the, in the uh, police budget, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it's about $93 million of that is uh, of the housing budget goes to policing to clear out sweeps. Yep. Police sweeps. And yep. I think uh, there was a sister that came out and said, you could use that same money to literally house 4,000 yep. homeless people. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, to, uh, for basically 12 months uh, you could just Budget pay the rent like for 12 values. months yep you could take yep. that money in and so so, th so this idea that we, we we can't do this is just not true and i think uh, unfortunately yeah. i think there's you're right there's uh there's a lot of uh there's a lot of people who are bought into the idea that um the the that uh people homeless just don't deserve just don't deserve it or or the idea that um you give them it's this their own fault they're missing out in some way mm -hmm. like so for example like you 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 basically just pay their rent for 12 months they'll be like well why can't i have my rent paid for 12 months and and that and, and then that's and that's how you get uh this is this is how it's uh 
uh, this is how the counter argument is formed, really just go, mm-hmm. you know, um, well, if we're going to pay these guys rent for 12 months, then surely everyone deserves to have their rent paid for 12 months. And, and, and this is, and this is, this cycle just continues. Um, but off the subject of um, housing, I wanted to talk to you about uh, environmentalism because um, obviously California is uh, uh, a rock bed for um, environmental issues, particularly wildfires. Um, and I think uh, COVID has really sort of exacerbated, well, it just displays how a government would respond to a crisis, especially. Mm-hmm. And I've, it's, not, it's not looking that great for... Um, uh, climate change if this is how we respond to covid um but um i want to talk about uh gavin newsom and obviously his uh i think he came out and said that he wasn't going to ban fracking until he's 2050 or something like that um and then he wasn't going to roll out uh the use of uh fossil fuel powered cars until at least 2035 um and i think this is this is like a broad this is the this is the same across the board for a lot of Democrats where they're sort of like pushing it to like 40 or 50 years into the future with a lot of these like changes. And right now we've been told that, you know, if we don't make a substantial change in 10 years that like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna tackle this crisis. Well, it's just, it's just not going to get better. Let's put it that way. It's never going to get better, but it's not, it's just going to get worse if we don't tackle this very, very urgently. So um, I just wanted you to tell us what what you would do in terms of um, tackling this crisis in California. Yeah, I know you, you. Fantastic points. I mean, uh, to kind of round it out, you know, we we got nine years. We got nine years yeah. to transition to 100% renewable energy economy to avoid catastrophic, irreversible climate change <laughs> and climate justice. You know, again, the most intersectional issue because we think about everything we're fighting for now, from housing to education. Uh, to living wages, uh, to our immigration system, to our foreign policy, all of these issues are going to become exponentially worse if we fail to address our climate crisis head on. And to your point, you know, LA again, California is ground zero. We have over a thousand uncapped oil wells here in Los Angeles spewing yeah. noxious chemicals into our Black and Latinx neighborhoods. There was an article finally released by LA Times yesterday talking about how in the Inland Empire, we're seeing astronomically higher rates of asthma, heart attacks, and air pollution because you have so many warehouse hubs that are there. And with COVID-19, more people staying home, more people ordering online, it's dramatically increased uh, the influx of of diesel truck traffic into the area. Um, But, you know, on, on the topic of what's happening in our community, I mean, we had the largest natural gas blowout in U.S. history happened in our district at Aliso Canyon five years ago. 109,000 metric tons of methane released into the air. Right next door, uh, in my sister Angelica Duenius' district, CA-29, we had the Sun Valley gas leak for two years spewing out methane, and the city was covering it up, not even publicly disclosing this was happening, while our communities are breathing in that noxious air each and every single day. When your zip code dictates your access to clean air and clean water that is environmental racism that's what it looks like and on top of that we also had the largest nuclear meltdown in u.s history happen in our district and most folks don't even know about it it happened in 1959 at the santa susana field lab 
uh, right in the mountains in between uh, uh, the San Fernando Valley and the Thousand Oaks Simi Valley area. Over 30,000 rocket tests were done at that site over a 20 year period. And all of those uh, chemicals were dumped into our groundwater. To this day, we still see higher rates of very rare cancers uh, in the surrounding perimeter from West Hills to Woodland Hills to on the other side in Simi Valley, uh, Thousand Oaks and other areas. And the very companies responsible, Boeing and Aerojet Rocketdyne, Rocketdyne especially, they were the original owners of the site back when the uh, meltdown happened. They've been quietly donating to Brad Sherman again over the last couple yeah. of cycles. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's disgusting. And we, again, you know, we, budgets reflect our values. We spend directly and indirectly a whopping $649 billion in taxpayer subsidies for the oil and gas industry. Sure. Whereas nine times higher than what we spend on education. It, it's just, we, we, we could lead the world in investing in renewable energy. We could rebuild our economy. And to see uh, Biden's plan, uh, 2.25 trillion infrastructure package, well, that amounts to what? Like 280 billion per year? Compare that to the $753 billion Pentagon budget. That's one year spending. Yeah. That's one year. Yeah, uh, I, I, it's good you bring that point up because obviously they're looking to increase the military budget. I think it's yep. going to be about seven hundred and fifty odd. Seven hundred fifty-three billion. billion. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's and so I want to, I want to bring this point because the military, in fact, is one of the biggest pollutants on the planet. Yeah, they are. And um, I remember seeing this article. I think it was uh, last a uh, couple of months ago, where the, uh, in fact, the U.S. military admitted to this. They ordered a clandestine burning of toxic chemicals in poor neighborhoods. Right? This is this is official. This is, uh, um, um, yeah, um, which threatens the health of millions of Americans. So you know, uh, this this uh, uh, this is embedded like in this yeah, in this is. system. This this idea that um, um, as long as it's not. As long as it's in someone else's neighborhood, then we can just continue to do this, this harmful way of uh, um, uh, creating energy, this harmful way of um, getting rid of just um, getting rid of waste, getting rid of, you know, as long as it doesn't affect me, then that's okay. And I think, um, yeah, the, I mean, what what's your stance on... Um, in terms of uh, the U.S. military, because I mean, if we don't, if we, uh, it's a bit like the police. If we, if we don't, def if we don't defund these organizations, or we don't reduce the amount we're spending on these organizations, it's just, it's just going to exacerbate the problems yep. uh, that we're facing. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, on, on that topic, we, we need to abolish our military-industrial complex. I mean, I know Jason, this is your biggest issue. Really look <clears throat> up to you on your leadership on this. But again, budgets reflect values. I've been talking about this again and again. We could eradicate homelessness in America with 10% of the yeah. Pentagon budget. Yeah, so Housing is about 5% of what we spend on the military annually. Education <laughs> is about 7%. And what we've seen is through programs like the 1033 program through DOD, we've seen the militarization of police because it transfers all of these unused military equipment from tanks to bayonets, uh, to riot gear, to grenades, uh, to everything in between. Being surveillance equipment. <laughs> local surveillance yeah. equipment. And what we're seeing, you can literally track the proliferation of SWAT teams to the 1033 program. When I was getting my master's of public health, 
I wrote my thesis on how mass incarceration is the most ignored public health crisis that we have. And I was doing this research and I was just astounded by how many billions of dollars over the past 30, 40 years uh, we've uh, directed into um, our local police through these transfers of military equipment. And on top of that, we have programs through DOJ like the COPS program and the Burn Justice program that provide perverse incentives for local police to continue accessing federal funding and tying it to the amount of arrests they make, the amount of warrants they have. So literally incentivizing further criminalization. And all we're seeing is more and more young, unarmed, black and brown people being murdered, state-sponsored violence expanding across our entire country. Enough is enough. These are public health crises. And when we, when we invest in incarceration, when we see here in LA, over 80% of the men incarcerated in our local jails being black or Latino, the intergenerational impacts of mass incarceration in terms of lack of family connectivity, lack of uh, wealth generation, lack of educational attainment in the children of incarcerated people, all of these things have dramatic impacts on our public health, our economy, and our national security. We need to reorient what community development looks like and reimagine public safety and not respond to mental health crises and substance use crises with policing. We cannot police our way out of inherently public health and socioeconomic issues. We solve them by investing in the needs of our communities, housing, education, healthcare, living wage jobs, clean air and water. Enough is enough. I agree. That was well said, Trevor. Thank you. Uh, I want to go ahead and ask you about um, the possible recall election that we'll, we'll be having. Uh, I believe it is official because they have gotten the amount of signatures they needed. Yes. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, one, do you think there could be a progressive challenger? And I also want to get your thoughts on the Caitlyn Jenner challenge. You know, we need a good laugh here. <laughs> the last time California had a recall election, we got Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. If Newsom wants progressives to have his back, he needs to keep his campaign promises. He needs to do right by progressives. He promised single payer Medicare for all. Yeah, he yeah, promised yeah. banning fracking, as Thomas pointed out. Keep to your word. Keep your word. Do the work that you said that you would do. Invest in our communities, and we will make sure that you are reelected. If not, then you know we, we have a crisis on our hands. Too many people are suffering. And to hear Caitlyn Jenner go on, on Fox News and talk about how her friend in his hangar just can't see our on-house folks anymore. I mean, it's just it's just cartoonish. To, to hear folks talk about their, like, how, how out of touch can you be to talk about your hanger and your friend leaving to Sedona, Arizona? I mean, it's just, it's, it's laughable, but these are people's that's lives we're talking about. People are dying. That's exactly why they're leaving. They hate seeing the, the homeless people. And it's, yeah, you're right. It shows how out of touch they are. It's disgusting. It is. It is. I just, yeah. And, I, I mean, I, I again, look, if, if, if Newsom wants to avoid being removed from office, do right by your campaign promises. Do right by progressives. Keep your word. Thank you. That's my message to him. 
Yeah, and I agree. Thank you so much for joining on, Sherman. You are amazing. You're welcome here anytime. Thank you all so Go much. Shout out your social media, your website. How can we help you succeed? Thank you all so much. Yeah, so our, our uh, website, ShervantForTheValley.com, either the number four, O-F-O-R, uh, both of them work. Our Twitter is just my last name, first name, Azami Shervin. Instagram's in reverse, Shervin Azami. Um, please join us. You know, we're running a People First campaign trying to create a new political coalition of young people, people of color, immigrants all across our district who are committed to fighting for and achieving the structural reforms we need to uplift and empower working people, dismantle white supremacy, and end corporate welfare. That's what our campaign's all about. And all that info is in the description below. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. You have a great evening. Same to y'all. All right, folks, and that concludes another episode of OK Now What? Thank you so much for listening. And again, check us out on social media and Shervin. All the info is in the description. Have, have a good weekend, folks. <laughs>